listening to an audio sermon from Fort William Baptist Church. We are located in Thunder Bay, Ontario. To find out more about us, please visit our website at www.fortwilliambaptistchurch.com. Thank you for joining us today. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open to Psalm 121. Psalm 121, a very familiar psalm, very familiar words to many of us. As you turn there, let me just give us a bit of context. Um, Psalm 121 is one of 15 psalms of ascent, or songs of ascent, they're often called. And they, these 15 psalms from Psalm 120, 134, they're arranged and they were to be sung on the occasion of ascending, ascending the hill to Jerusalem, ascending for worship in that way, as one made the, to their way to the temple for worship or, or sacrifice. And so in that context, it was often to be sung to prepare your heart for that. So for example, one of the familiar lines, it is good to go to the house of the Lord, but also, again, as you'll see in our psalm this morning, traveling in those days was pretty risky business, pretty dangerous business. Think, for example, the Gospel of Luke and the parable of the Good Samaritan, making that very journey from Jerusalem, and it was traveling was, was dangerous business, and so someone ascending the hill, making that journey, there was anxieties, there was uncertainty, and so many of these truths we read in these Psalms of Ascent are meant to minister to us in that context as we journey as strangers and aliens word as, in this world as we seek to worship the Lord. So, this morning, we'll fix our attention on Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Lord God, as David writes, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your eyes, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, help us understand and apply this psalm a little bit. Probably firstly, the best thing we do is to get ourselves into the imagery, get ourselves into the the metaphor, if you want to call it that. And so picture yourself living as an Israelite around the year 900 BC. And you're an Israelite living outside of Jerusalem. It's Christmas. Let's say you're living in Bethlehem. And you decide you want to, indeed, ascend the hill. You want to make this journey to Jerusalem, to go to the temple, to go to the holy city. And needless to say, you can't jump in the car, you can't travel the ways we would today. In fact, as a middle-class Israelite in those days, you likely wouldn't have even had a donkey or a camel or a horse to travel on. You would have made this journey by foot. And so... Off you go, away you go to, you're excited, you're going to Jerusalem, and this would be about a day's journey, about a full day's journey by foot. And at first you're feeling good, in fact you'd be excited, wouldn't you? And about an hour or so into your journey, well now your hometown is, is long behind you, you're feeling maybe a little more alone, a little bit more vulnerable. And of course you would dare not make this journey in the middle of the night, and so as the day goes on, as the midday sun comes out, you're feeling the scorch of the sun perhaps. You're feeling a little more tired, a little more thirsty, feeling the elements. You carry on. Shortly after that, just a little more alone, you 
hear and see beasts. Perhaps you see some venomous snakes taking in the, the heat of the sun, slithering off as they hear you. Perhaps you hear beasts behind the hill. Maybe it's a goat, but maybe it's a bear. Maybe it's a wolf. When this day goes on, what happens? Is it going to happen just a few hours here? The sun starts to set behind those hills, doesn't it? Creating darkness and, and shadows and, and valleys. And as you feel that darkness, you're reminded that you, have, you know of friends who have been attacked, beaten, robbed, stripped, left for dead, making this very same journey. You do not know what lurks in the darkness of those shadows. So as you carry on with each and every step, you're just becoming increasingly aware of your own fragility, your own vulnerability as you're exposed in, that, in this way. In that moment, your heart's beating faster and faster. You are just feeling a level of anxiety as you travel. And in that moment, you look up to the hills. Perhaps you look up to the hill with the temple set upon it. And you say something like this. I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? As we read on, and as we'll look at in our time this morning, you realize your help, your hope, is indeed that almighty, all-powerful creator of the hills, of all things. And friends, we're all on journeys in various ways, aren't we? Indeed, each one of us has felt and will feel those traveling vulnerabilities, those traveling anxieties and uncertainties. And so here, thousands of years later, our hope is found in that same helper the psalmist looks to. And so for our time this morning, we're going to look at this psalm and, and really ask that very first question, consider that very question, from where does my help come from? Who is this help? What is this help? And consider the realities of our helper, of the Lord that this passage lays before us. And to do this, we'll consider this under three broad categories. Firstly, your helper is the creator. Secondly, your helper is the protector. And thirdly, your helper is always present. The psalm is meant to offer weary wanderers comfort and hope by pointing us to our helper. And so we'll consider these broad categories of where our help come from, comes from, who our helper is. So firstly, your helper is the creator. He is the creator. This is what he has done. Perhaps some of you are in the market this year to maybe do some home reno, something like this. Maybe you want to tear out the kitchen and do something new. And maybe you're thinking, I want to hire someone to do this. You want to hire someone. Maybe you're in the business or you're in the market to build a new home altogether. So let's say you're having your kitchen renovated and you want to hire someone to do this. You might ask questions like, does this guy know what they're doing? Have they done this before? What is their resume? When they come in there and start tearing, out, uh, tearing up your whole house down the studs, you don't want them searching on Google what they're supposed to do next. Do they know what they're doing? Maybe some of you are in a position that you employ other people. Maybe you're managers or business owners. And whatever position you're trying to fill, you think, okay, to some degree, I want to know, is this person, do they know what they do? Are they doing? They have some sort of experience. Have they proven themselves capable and trustworthy? I'm looking to hire a helper. Is this person capable and trustworthy to some degree? And so for our traveling psalmist, he looks to the hills and reminded just how capable and competent his helper is. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. What is his resume? Who made heaven and earth. Our Lord, our helper, created heaven and earth, created everything that exists. That is his background check. That is his resume when the psalmist looks to the hills. And so we do well to slow down and consider the, the weight and the context in which we find this. 
in, this moment of, in these moments of uncertainty and anxiety, who is my helper? It is the Lord, Yahweh, who created all things. And the implication of that is that his power is greater than and rules over any forces that lurk within or beyond the hills. And yes, the, the beasts of the hills or the robbers in the caves and the shadows may indeed strike fear, but they are but a speck of dust compared to the one who created them. He is all-powerful, greater than anything in this world because he created this world, didn't he? Just this morning, I was getting uh, some texts from my buddy Steve Kim, who many of you know, and Steve and Kathy are with Kathy's parents down in Minnesota, and Steve this morning is preaching at Kevin's church, and so Steve and I have been texting each other this week about our preaching assignments for this morning, and as I was reminded about that, I was reminded of one of the more recent times I made that journey down to see the Dibleys in, in southern Minnesota, and it was a few years ago, January of 2018, Ian Friesen and I were taking a trip down to the pastor's conference there, and our goal was to get to the Dibley's place that night, but it was January, and I may have shared this story before, and so we're making this journey down there, and it starts to, to snow, and the stars, sun starts to go down, and it starts to snow more and more and more, and then somewhere just past Grand Marais, the unrelated to the snow, our car, my car, dies. And as many of you, I don't need to tell you, neither Ian nor myself are mechanics or miracle workers. This car died, I wasn't able to bring it back to life. And so in that context, backwoods Minnesota, late at night, snow coming down, we did what we could do. We couldn't, we called tow trucks, what can we do? And guess what kind of answer we got in that context? Find a hotel room, make yourself comfortable, because we're not coming to get you at night in a snowstorm on these highways. And so that's what we did. We got a hotel room, we spent the night, and the next day, tow truck came as arranged. It was great. He brought us to Duluth. We dropped off the car there. We rented a car. Car got fixed, and he was a great tow truck driver. He was a very friendly guy, a very competent guy, a trustworthy guy, but ultimately, he was a finite guy, wasn't he? He was a limited person. He could not control the snowstorm. Certainly, he could not overcome the snowstorms. The help, our helper, as great as he was, that tow truck had its limitations, didn't it? Friends, our help comes from the Lord. And when our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, there are no such limitations, is there? There is no storm you can find yourself in, either figuratively or literally, where he is not there as your help. No storm in which he will not hear your prayers. No storm in which he is not very present, as we read in Psalm 46, for example. I think, for example, the scene in Mark chapter 4. Brad preached on this a few years ago. Jesus is on the boat with his disciples, Sea of Galilee. He's asleep. It's a big storm, and the disciples are freaking out. They wake up, Jesus, come on, we're, we're in a storm here. You remember what Jesus does? It's the strangest thing. He gets up and what does he do? He rebukes the winds and the waves. He rebukes them. He tells the very elements of nature to knock it off. And amazingly, they do. The winds cease. The water is calm. They are his to command, aren't they? As you read on that passage, in that moment, the disciples were scared before. Now they are terrified. Yes, they've seen many a man at the mercy of the storms and the sea. They have never seen storms and the sea at the mercy of a man. Now they're terrified. See, for disciples, the hope in that moment wasn't the strength of Jesus' arms to paddle the boat. No, their hope and their help in that moment was the creator of the storms, the creator of that water. And he is bound by nothing. 
And we sang that line from Charles Wesley earlier this morning, veiled in flesh, the Godhead. See, this is Jesus. This is one of the beautiful, all-important reminders of Advent, isn't it? God with us. This is Christ. And we see glimpses of that. And this, the psalmist is telling us, this is our helper, the creator of all things. He sustains all things. He spoke all things into existence. And his power knows no bounds. And as wondrous of all as all that is, I would say the most important reality of that is this. As we trace through Scripture this theme that our helper is the maker of created all things, speaks things into existence, all-powerful, needing nothing, bound by nothing, this creator in his matchless grace, in that glorious grace we sang of earlier, in need of nothing from anyone, well, what act of creation has he done in our lives? He creates life in hearts where there was only sin and darkness and death. Christians, this is your very testimony. Left to yourself, you could not save yourself or help yourself. Your helper, the creator of heaven, earth, created life where there was death, brought life into your life through Christ, received by faith and faith alone. Listen now, the Apostle Paul articulates this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who's quoting Genesis, let there be light. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts, in your heart, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Creator of all things, what does he create? He's created light in your heart. Friends, what glorious grace. Or use the language of Ezekiel. He gave a heart of flesh where there's only a heart of stone. He made dry bones live. And so one of the reasons I say that is as you journey through uncertainty, difficulty, darkness, perhaps a darkness you're feeling even this morning as much as any, Christians, first and foremost, look no further than your own testimony. This God who is not bound by anything was able to save a soul as lost as yours and mine. Surely he can care for you. Your helper is the creator. This God, and this God has promised to be for us and not against us. This is our first emphasis of the psalm. Your helper is the creator. Well, as we press through this language further, secondly, see your helper is the protector. Your helper is the protector. So listen now, the imagery shifts a bit in verses 4 to 7. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. So you hear this language of, of keeping. You know, my kids are at the age of getting a bit older, and they now have a little bit of their own money, and they have their own wallets, and they get money from this or that, and try and teach them, you know, don't leave money lying around, that kind of thing. If you're going to the store to buy a toy, you know, hold on to your wallet. You know, keep, keep this is yours. You've got to be responsible. You've got to keep it. You've got to protect it to a certain degree. Don't lose it. Keep an eye on it. And you hear the language of these verses. You know, if you or I cling tightly to our wallets, and some of us cling pretty tightly to our wallets, don't we? We cling tightly to our wallet or a cell phone or whatever the case may be. Friends, how much more tightly does our Lord keep us? Does he cling to us? He holds us, protects us, watches over us. Some of the other imagery of this text we read in verse 3. He says, he will not let your foot be moved. 
as we've talked about, the context here is a traveler on this various terrain, climbing up unsteady ground, ascending, ascending the hill. It's almost as saying God watches over each and every step on that uncertain journey. Think about the last couple of years of all of the dynamics of COVID. I think about, you know, the different steps I've taken, so to speak. Maybe steps I've taken as a pastor or just as a, as a parent or just as a citizen or as a neighbor. Take whatever pick you want as we all just navigate these dynamics of shifting rules and restrictions and mo- moods, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm sure you would agree this has indeed been a season of walking and navigating unstable, unpredictable terrain, hasn't it? And boy, if I thought I could get through that, if I thought getting through that was dependent on my own wisdom, my own cunning, I would have not gotten out of bed this morning. I would not have gotten out of bed any morning over the last couple of years. In the midst of the chaos, where is my hope? Where is our comfort? Our helper is the protector who is keeping us, watching over each and every step. And he will not let your foot be moved. And yes, indeed, sometimes he has our feet in strange places, doesn't he? Perhaps sometimes my foot has stepped in it, so to speak, and I'm learning some lessons the hard way, and that's part of how the Lord is watching over me, teaching us in this way. Sometimes the Lord has our feet where we would not have expected or desired. The Lord has us somewhere for our good and our comfort that even though we cannot fully see it or comprehend it, nor would we fully even believe it if the Lord told us to quote Habakkuk, for example. Indeed, he watches over every step. Then yet another image we have, and this is, comes from verse 5. One of the ways he protects us and keeps us is he is the shade on your right hand. He is the shade on your right hand. Pretend, if you will. Emo, this is an easier illustration to explain because everything's flat and everything's north-south, but you know, Thunder Bay is a little more rugged. So pretend this center aisle is the, the journey ascending the hill, and let's say the pulpit is Jerusalem. The sun is up, coming through the windows, Daniel, stand up. Let's, let's do this. Yeah, yeah, no, not the Daniel behind you. M- move into the middle. So on, on which hand is the sun right now? Keep your hands up. It is on his left hand. And where is the shade? It is on his right hand. Thank you, Daniel. So that is the idea. The historians, geographers, etc. tell us when you're ascending, the ten, ten, it would tend to be the case that you'd be going such a way and on a trail where the sun was to the south, just like this, and so your left hand is getting the scorch of the sun, your right hand is, that, is being shade, is protected. And so what is the psalmist saying? That shade, that protection, that care, that is the Lord's comfort over us. He cares for us in this way. He is the shade on your right hand. So friends, the question for you and I, we believe that, is do we believe that? Do we see that? Yes, we are going to live in light of that truth. But we believe the Lord offers that care, offers that protection through the uncertainties. And so will we believe that? See, when our traveler is leaving on his trip, going to worship at Zion, he's excited, isn't he? It's pretty easy to feel good in that moment. Off I go, I'm going to Jerusalem. He's excited, he's feeling good. So, you know, what is, where does this, is this most relevant? For what occasion is this written? It's in the moments of those darkness of the valley, isn't it? That these words are most relevant. So what's the darkness of the valley you're facing this morning? Yes, maybe you don't hear the slithering of venomous snakes or the sound of wild beasts, but perhaps you hear rumors of more restrictions that could affect your job or your business or even your plans for the holidays. And it's unsettling, it's uncertain. Maybe you don't hear robbers, but you hear 
the various things we hear around us. Maybe you hear just the endless gossip of others robbing others of honor and truth and you face the temptation to join the chorus or you feel the hopeless frustration of it all. Maybe the dark valley is indeed seen. Death, loss, and comfort and rest feels like a distant memory for you. It's in the darkness of the valley, friends. In these moments, do we believe in and rejoice in that shade, that comfort the Lord brings us through the tears, knowing he is indeed keeping us. He is our protector, knowing he will not let anything strike us that isn't ultimately for our good, and even as Howard prayed earlier, within his plan. Here's the thing, Christians, when we refuse to believe that, when we refuse to believe the promises we read in the psalm, well, what do we tend to do? We start looking for that shade, that comfort. We start looking for it elsewhere, don't we? Perhaps in the bottom of a bottle. Perhaps in various other substances. Perhaps in pornography. Perhaps you look for this comfort in the arms of a lover who's not your spouse, who makes you feel comforted or protected, knowing it's just a falsehood. See, each one of these false comforts only lead to calamity and destruction. And when we chase these false comforts, we fall into this snare of sin that Paul describes in Romans chapter 1. Listen to these familiar verses in Romans 1, verses 21 to 23. So Paul's speaking about just the depravity of our sin, the hope we need in the gospel. And so he writes, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fuel and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Here Paul is saying this. So you know what? We claiming to be wise, we become fools. We've got to figure it out. I know what will bring me comfort. I know what will make me feel better. Paul says, even though they know God, they chase these false lies. This is what we do when we don't believe these promises of the psalm, don't we? When we don't see God as our comfort, as our protector, as the shade in our right hand, we try to find it elsewhere. And as Paul says, we exchange the greatness of God, this hope and promise he gives us for something infinitely less. So Christians, will we live in light of who our protector is? Our Lord, Yahweh. So that's our second way we see where help comes from. He's our protector. Thirdly then, this all-powerful protector, creator, what is more comforting is he does not leave us, does he? So thirdly, your helper is always present. Your helper is always present. You know, the short passage has been showing us just different ways and different images of how, that ought to encourage us and strengthen us of who our helper is. And one of the ways is just to show us he is indeed always there. So one of the first ways we see this in verse th- is in verse 3 and 4. Verse 3 says, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. At the time this was written, there'd be various pagan gods or, or, or in, in those times. And these pagan gods, well, they were fake gods. You had to make up fake excuses for their fake power. So often it was viewed that these gods had to rest or sleep or whatever. You have to make excuses for their impotence, don't you? And so the psalmist writes here, says, no, Yahweh, our Lord, you do not need to make excuses. The God of Israel does not sleep. He does not slumber. Today is a Sunday afternoon in the holidays. If you come find me this afternoon, I can almost promise you, you will find sleep and slumber. I can assure you that is will be 
something I will likely be in need of or at least desiring of. I can assure you as a preacher, I have caused more than my share of sleep and slumber. This is the reality. We get it. We get the image. And so the psalmist says, not so with the Lord. And the point being, there will not be a moment when you cry out to your God or when you are deepening your trust in the God and deepening your joy in our God, which he is somehow just weakened or not available. He is there at all times with indeed that all-creating power and is at work for his glorious purposes. There is not a moment you will cry out to him when he is not there in full power. See, when Genesis tells us that on the seventh day God rested, Boy, do not take that to say, boy, you know, after six days, he was just worn out. You know, he would have created three arms and three legs, but he was just tired. He would create a few more earths, but he was just worn. No, no. He rested in the beauty and fullness he, he created. It was good. And he rested in the completeness of goodness of that creation, fully satisfied in himself, in his creation, enjoying the marvel of his creative output, which declares his glory, as Psalm 19 would say, for example. And so on that seventh day, he was no less upholding the universe he created than he was the six days prior and as he has been each day since. He does not sleep or slumber. Now I can say to you with a high degree of certainty, I will fall asleep at some point this afternoon. But I can say to you with a full degree of certainty, your God will not. And he will never fall asleep on you. He is ever-present. I remember three, four, five years ago, I can't remember when, when I was serving here, ministering here, getting a call on my cell phone late, late at night, a church member in need of some care, going through a, a crisis of sorts. It was late at night. I was asleep. I couldn't take the call. I missed the call. I was not there for him in his hour of need. We have these limitations, don't we? So what's the psalmist saying? It is not so with our Lord. He does not sleep or slumber. He is always present. Of course, we see this theme further in verse 8. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. In the Psalms, we read that term forevermore. Sometimes it's translated as length of days. And the emphasis there is each and every day, each and every day forward. He is always present. And so let's not rush past the weight of that statement. There's not a day coming, nor is there a place in all creation where our Lord has not promised to be with us and to be with us as our helper and protector. Now, just last month, I was on a phone with a mom, a Christian mom, who was sharing with me, just she was wrestling with her, her daughter, her oldest child, who's getting older and moving to higher grades and moving to other schools and just struggling with her sweet, innocent daughter, just getting to exposed to more of the world, more, more sin, just more challenges, and just it, it's, it's, it's hard for her. But the comfort and hope for this Christian mom was that she knew that even though she couldn't be there with her daughter at all times, she knew her God was and will be. And her God is far more, far more mighty and far more wise than she is or ever will be. Maybe you can relate to that. You've got kids going off to college or university or kids who are growing up, can't be there, can't be there. Your God is. He will be there. Goes for each and every one. There is not a day coming or a place they could go or you could go where he will not be there. Now, our own family is entering something of a season of transition and change and a new chapter. Our Lord will be with us. And the reality is none of us know what 2022 might hold for our families, our kids, 
our churches, far more clear than where you're going to live, where you're going to work, far more clear than how much church attendance might increase or decrease, how much our church budgets might increase or decrease, far more clear than any of that is this promise to us. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So will you believe that? Do we rejoice in that? Can we rest in that promise? For the same God's proven himself faithful to Fort William Baptist Church for over a hundred years, he has proven himself faithful to his people for millennia before that, and he has promised himself to be ever-present each and every day forward. Let's close in prayer. So Lord God, thank you for the goodness and glory and grace of simply who you are. Help us to trust in that. Lord, remind us of your grace and your work in our life, which shows how mighty you are to save sinners like us. God, thank you that indeed we can look up, we can look to the hills and see how great our helper is. Lord, help us do that this day and in the year ahead, Lord. Thank you for the mighty, your mighty power, which is for us and not against us. In Christ's name, amen.